Welcome to another episode of Roll or Die. Today we have for you one of the children of one of the founders, I guess, of Jiu-Jitsu in Australia. Uh, we've had his dad on before and he is an amazing person in his own right. We bring to you Max Debean. Thanks for joining us, Max. No worries, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So is Max like, Kim, because when you were at Debean, was Max like this little kind of kid running around? <laughs> Yeah, he was a little kid. I know it's it's kind of a bit surreal for me because I don't know about other people, but you sort of see yourself still the same, yeah, but suddenly you realise you're not, you're old because you've got, like, kids who are <laughs> I had that, adults. So. I had that with Cooper, right? Like, this kid, I had to, like, be gentle with him and now he just destroys me and always will from now on. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Max uh, is very much the same, yeah. he's. I, I don't know, I'm not sure that Max and I have rolled because I think when I was there he was, you were mostly at Torquay. I don't think that you were coming up to St Kilda all that much. Yeah, well, I still would have been... In in high school, school. not even yeah. private school. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. In school down here, so I would just come up on school holidays when I got the chance. Man, so how old are you now? Twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. Awesome, man. What's it like growing up in like in the in the surf coast, like Torquay, that sort of region? Is that like I imagine that to be the ultimate childhood growing up experience, man? Yeah, I'm pretty biased. Um, I'll say it's the best place in the world to anyone. And yeah. anyone who tries to disagree with me, I just won't listen to your opinion. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. No, it's awesome. It's so good. Like you sort of, when I was growing up, it was a bit smaller. You sort of almost knew everyone. Now it's getting quite big, mm -hmm. um, but it's still such a nice place. Like it's just like you have the beach and like, oh, there's so many good things about it. I love it here. Yeah, man. And and although I imagine like like come New Year's Eve like everyone it's like schoolies or something like that like the, there must be times of the year where it's exciting but also a bit a bit intense you know what I mean so is it... yeah in summer and then uh, Easter is like really busy as well because we have the Root Girl Pro the surfing event on mm -hmm. um, it's good for the town you know it's good for the businesses and stuff to have some tourists in and mm. it's it's awesome you know the pub's a little bit more fun when there's more people there. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Uh, and Max, you spent a lot of time, or a fair bit of time in New York training uh, with Henzo, yeah? So tell us a bit about that. What's, yeah. What's that like? Um, so I was there mostly through COVID. Um, I was kind of going back and forth a little bit just for a few weeks to train here and there. And then the opportunity arose to... Uh, moved there essentially so i was living with henzo for a while and then had a place in the city for a little bit um and i was just yeah teaching at henzo's training competing a lot um it was just a little bit back and forth for the most part because i had to come home for a shoulder surgery had to come home for covid um but pretty much i was there for like you know year and a half two years sort of kind of from the start of covid to the end were you only training in the gi or did you train with Danaher as well? Uh, I did a few no-gi classes with Danaher right at the start, uh, but I'm not really into my no-gi too much. I just don't enjoy it. So um, when they... Yay, someone like me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So many of our guests we have on, they are all like, the oh, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. What do we have here? Yeah, sorry. Go, go on, go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not a no-gi no guy. Like I'm proficient enough in leg locks and whatnot. 
pretty much just so I can teach and my students don't leg lock me, but that's pretty much as far as it goes. Um, but yeah, when, when Danaher and stuff went to uh, Puerto Rico, there was a bit of a shift at Henzo's more towards the gi and uh, Gregor Gracie kind of took the reins of the comp team. And yeah, it was just like perfect timing for me because I'm a gi guy and I went there and that happened and Gregor just like is an amazing coach and, and teacher. So yeah, it was really good. We had like probably 40, 50 guys on the mat in the comp class in the mornings on the the big days. And it's just like, you know, eight, eight minute rounds or whatever, just like everyone trying to kill each other. Mm -hmm. So it was really good. So of those 40, 50, like would they be, you know, would there be 10 black belts or what was the, the level like? Um, yeah, sometimes. No, yeah. they're more like 15, more? maybe. Wow. Yeah, 20. Because there'd be a lot of guys Jeez. from like other Henzo gyms, like because I think he has um he has two in the city and then there's ones in Jersey and then Gregor has his academy. So a bunch of guys from affiliates would come on those days, knowing it was the bigger days, and then some guys from other academies as well would, would come. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, man, that's great. What's it like living wow. in Enzo, man? I'm I'm keen to know about that. That 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 <laughs> nobody says that. Nobody says that lives with Enzo Gracie. So you know, you talk about yeah. that. Man. Like, does he? I don't know. Does he? Is he human? Does he? Yeah. yeah no, he's he's uh he's amazing. He's a strange character like he's just wild like you you can't predict what he's gonna do and i don't even think he knows what he's gonna do in the next five minutes <laughs> uh, I, I, time, I was uh not going to the city because he lives out in jersey it's like an hour and a half to mm -hmm. uh the academy mm -hmm. well depending how you drive um and i woke up like kind of late in the morning i wasn't training that day and then um I think our, our listeners know who Henzo Gracie is. I'm just surely. putting him up in case okay. they don't. You know, he's okay, a okay. year old guy, you know. Okay, you know. all right. Yeah. <laughs> True. Sorry, go ahead, Max. Yeah, it was like 11, 11.30, 11.45, and I'm just like in the kitchen just eating, and he comes in and he's like, oh, you going to the city today? I was like, oh, no, I was having a rest day today. He's like, oh, do you think you could teach the 12 o'clock class? I'm like, yeah, in 20 minutes, he's like, yeah, yeah, here's, here's the keys, go. I'm like, okay. He's like, don't worry, just go as fast as you want, just get to training and teach. I was like, okay. <laughs> Took his range over and got to class at like, I don't know, quarter past 12 and taught. But that's like the kind of thing, he's just like so erratic and crazy, but he just gets things done somehow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, what, how does he relate to you like your dad? Because your dad's a similar age. He's a similar position. You know, he's a club owner. And is, you know, he's a, is your dad that kind of guy? No, they're, no. they're very, very different. That's very regimented. He has things planned. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have anything planned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you mentioned shoulder surgery as well in there. What happened there? How, how was that? Uh, I've had both. I had the right one done years ago. Um, it was just a, a torn labrum. Um, and then the left one was the same thing. I got um, someone did a drop stay in Agi. And then I went to post as I was going over. And then my hand slipped on a patch of sweat and went straight up and then tore that labrum. Oof. Wow. Yeah. How long were you out for? Uh, it's probably like eight months until you sort of really back to training. Like you can... You can roll, but it's probably eight months until you'd want to compete, I'd say. So, so is that eight months on the one shoulder and then another eight on the other? Or yeah. 
That's oh, like man. at 26, that's a large percentage of your life, man. You've been out with shoulder shoulder surgery. Yeah. The maths, but yeah, it's like, by the time by the time I'm 50, I'm gonna be in a wheelchair with this stupid sport. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how, how are you as a competitor? Are you like you? It, it, what's your what's your kind of strategy mentally for competing? Um, I'm kind of still experimenting, to be honest. Um. I just try to lately I've been trying to go in as calm as possible because I used to get like super revved up and very aggressive and I, I won some fights like that but a lot of the time I would sort of have a bit of an adrenaline dump halfway through yeah and I kind of like crash a little bit sort of like oh so now I've been trying to stay a lot more calm it seems to be working I can think a lot more clearly about what I'm trying to do so I think I'll stick with that approach for a while I love that you're was- experimenting with that man that's awesome yeah what was it like competing over there? Like um, you mentioned you also, when you were over in the US, you competed a lot. Like how did those comps compare to the ones in Australia? Uh, so the ones in Australia, you'll probably get like, you know, a couple of decent guys in every division. Um, but if you're competing there, like a lot of the competitions in Texas, Florida, stuff like that, even at the Opens, you're going to get a guy who's like, you know, podiuming at the pans or worlds who's just trying to like tune up or get some points so you can kind of like um you know maybe get an easy first not easy no no fights are easy but you might get a fight that's like pretty winnable early on and then if you can make it to the podiums you're going to be coming across like you know an isaac daudeline or someone like that Fabrizio andre like you know yeah maybe not in brazil but yeah you're going to get guys like that all the way through all the opens, which is really tough. Wow. Yeah. Now that, that matches what pretty much our other guests have been saying as well about the standard in Australia or the, the level in Australia, I guess. So yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, no, the level in Australia is, is really, really good. It's it's awesome. Yeah. You just don't quite get those like real cream the crop guys. Yeah. Um, but you know. Yeah, take- we're getting there. What's the yeah. what's what's the kind of do you have a a strategy with the overall like why are you competing are you competing because you want to like just grow as much as you can as a as a as a a bjj athlete or like is mma something on the cards for you or is it just about being the best coach you can be or you know what's it about for you what drives you um i want to try to make the most of the opportunity that i have i know i'm super lucky to be able to do jiu-jitsu full-time at my age um so I want to make the most of that so I don't look back and think, God damn, I should have competed more. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, it's kind of all, you know, I want to be a role model for my students, you know, so I compete, they compete because we all know how much better you get when you compete. Mm. Um, Yeah. MMA would be, would be something I'd like to do as well. Um, It's just hard to find the time between training geese full time and teaching full time and then having to do no, no gi and then having to do striking as well. It's like there's only so many hours in the day. So yeah, that's the lowest on the priority list. But if I could somehow, you know, work it in at some point, then that would be nice too. They need to invent MMA in the gi for you, bro. That'll make it easier. <laughs> Man, I'd be I'd watch that. I'd watch that for sure. <laughs> uh, Max, what was it? What was it like coming up as a kid? Like, were there ever times where you thought about like giving up or? not not continuing on with jiu-jitsu or how, how was that especially uh, you know if you don't mind me saying like with your family name yeah yeah it was it was kind of hard um when 
being Pete's son back in the day in Australia, it's, it was always nice competing overseas because no one knew who the heck I was and still don't. Uh, it's always been harder competing here. Um, I remember I quit once when I was like 12 or something. I was like, Dad, that's it. I'm done. I think I want to play AFL. <laughs> and then, how, uh, how was that received? <clears throat> how do you take that? He didn't care. I mean, he probably cared, but he didn't show it. Uh, he uh-huh. never pushed me to training. He would always just say, yep, I'm going to class. If you're not in the car, when I'm gone, I'm gone. And then when I quit, he's like, okay, no worries. And then I lasted two weeks and I was back. Uh, that's, <laughs> parent, that's awesome parenting. Pete the bean yeah. right way out there, man. I love that. <laughs> you're not in the car when wow. I'm gone. It's, and look, he came, came back, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and as that. a 12-year-old as well because, you know, so, uh, 12-year-olds don't have a lot of maturity. So. Pete created yeah. FOMO, man. He created FOMO and you were right back in there. True to me and Kevin Keane. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so did you did you like put on a gi when you were sort of like two years old, three years old sort of thing? Is that how it came about or was it something that you decided as well from the start or how? No, I have no memory of starting. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a photo of me and my sister training at Gracie Baja in Baja in uh, 1999. Uh, she's, I think she's a yellow belt or something. I'm obviously a white belt because I'm three. <laughs> um and yeah, I think that was one of the first times I trained from what dad's told me. And then after that, um, there was probably not many other kids my age training in Australia. So I was probably just annoying you guys at the academy and rolling around and probably wasn't actually doing any real training until, I don't know, six or something. But I remember I, uh, I came last in the, my first tournament. I was four in the under sixes. So... <laughs> That's, that's and so what was it like then coming through Max as a kid, like training with adults? We've had a couple of other guests on who've been sort of like teens and, and juniors, but having to do the adults classes, was that how was that for you? Uh yeah, it was it was cool. Um I remember I had like my core group of kids who we would do like the we did the smaller kids class, then we graduated as we got older, and then we did the teens class. Yeah. And then one year uh, at the end of the year, dad just said, all right, all you guys have to do the adults class next year, too old, old for the teens class, which I was already kind of doing some adults class anyway. And then a lot of those kids dropped off because they were sort of, I don't know, maybe didn't want to do the adults, but I was lucky enough that I was already kind of groomed into it. So it was okay. Um, but I still remember when I submitted my first adult, it was at St. Kilda, the old academy downstairs. I was this bigger dude. He was a blue belt and I was a green belt. No, I think I might have been an orange belt. I don't know. And then I remember I tried with him and I looked over to dad and I was like, was he trying? Was he trying? Because <laughs> obviously like that was like, I submitted a lot because you guys just let me get it and stuff. But then dad was like, yeah, no, he was trying. And I was like, yes. First time I submitted that on I trying. I'll never forget that day. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm keen to know, like as, a, as we kind of opened up the conversation talking about Torquay and it's like, it is a hot spot. There's a lot of, teen angst and you know testosterone and you know people in you know you know anyway the bottom line is it gets intense at times have you ever had to use your bjj for you know for self-defense or to break up something or have you managed to you know talk your way out of situations uh yeah i'm a pretty smooth talker and mm-hmm. i'm also buying people drinks who want to fight me <laughs> <laughs> nice um i don't really have any sort of ego like that i just don't have any time for that um 
you know, it's it's usually like when you're out drinking or something. Sometimes there's little scuffles, but you know, if you just tell a guy how strong he is and please don't hurt me, so much bigger. <laughs> they tend to feel pretty good about themselves and just you know, it's just not worth it because everybody get kicked out and I don't I don't mess with that kind of stuff. So you've never been. And what about school, right? what about coming up through school through school max? Did you ever have to use it at all there? Uh, school, I made some made some money submitting people. That was fun. <laughs> But I was always a really small kid, um, and like the bigger year twelves and stuff would always want to want to fight. And then like my mates would just be like, "All right, no punching or kicking. Just see if you can hold him down." And I just like ankle lock him every time. <laughs> That's so and then you know, it's just ten bucks here, ten bucks there. Well, you so know, good. I made my money. It's so a- You're so good. I I I really respect it. I made my money by taking kids in my car. So they could smoke ciggies and I charge them to take them to smoke a ciggy. Your way is way better. And what age were you when you did this? I was like 17. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I thought you were doing it like last week. I was week in year 12. Something. Yeah, I was in year 12. <laughs> but I was like, take, taking the younger kids. That's so bad. Anyway, you're a role model, Max. I'm not. Let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> oh, so good. Your turn, Anton. Oh my lord! Okay, <laughs> after that, I'm just I'm actually reflecting on that now. It's killing me. Um, okay, the AFBJJ man, you're involved in that too. Yeah, kinda. Um, I mean, I just help dad, give him advice on some things. I think he just yeah. kind of uses me as a bit of a backboard. To kind board. Of yeah, just bounce ideas off. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And mm-hmm. then because uh, I'm not like super involved, like you know, I'm not technically working for the AFBJ or anything. Yeah. Kind of give him a bit of a perspective from a competitor's point of view and like right. a customer's point of view, I guess if you want to use that word. So yeah. um just kind of helping him out with ideas and stuff. But yeah, the great. tournaments we run sort of help set those up and stuff as well. But absolutely nothing crazy. Sort of spend most of my time uh running the academy and, and teaching and trying to train myself as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, it, it's been around for a long time now. Um and it's it's been very kind of influential on the scene. There's obviously polarizing views, but I like that, right? Like I've come to learn that when you get big and known, you get lovers and you get haters. You're just always going to have that, you know what I mean? But I, but I also imagine that that is a tough position to be in. Like when you get big, it's just par for the course. You get customer complaints. You get, you know, it's like this comp didn't run that way, or you know, this too much money, etc. Et but for me. Like I, I really am. A, I'm a fan of the AFBJJ, and I'm a fan. Like having known Pete for quite a long time, like I've seen that he's a stand for doing what the big people are doing overseas. You know, and that's what I actually really like is he's trying to bring that structure and that rigor that we that the overseas places have. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that that he exists doing that. I'm grateful that you're in the background as a competitor advising him. I think that's awesome, man. And I just wanted to get that across that message because, you know, I know that it's, I know that it must be a tough position for him to be in sometimes, although he takes it well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's yeah, it's not, not easy because you know, everyone's, it's actually, it's good these days, but every back in the day, you guys remember everybody used to basically just hate Pete. (laughs) Anything he did was just, I think he could do right, and but now I think sort of respect that you know he's done a pretty good job, uh, yeah, for the sport, and, and you know it's not as easy as what people think. So yeah, it's imagine cool if, 
imagine if he quit, right? Because he because he took that stuff personally. That would be so bad. Because now look where it is and look what it's doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's awesome. Yeah. Mm. I think that um, my what I hear the biggest beef that people have, the biggest complaints people make, is about the cost. Can you talk at all about that, Max? Like, I don't know, like to try and kind of explain why people seem to think that it's overcharged for the comps in Australia and that why can't uh, the AFBJJ run comps that are cheaper? Why do we need to have a membership? Things like that. That seems to be the most noise that I heard. Yeah. Um, well, initially, I don't think it's that expensive. Being an active IBJJF competitor, those things are very, very expensive. Um, yeah. But mainly the US dollar hurts us a little bit with that. But even yeah. still, like I don't sit here and say IBJJF tournaments, you know, I'm not going to do those. They're way too expensive. Like, yeah, they're more expensive than ours. But you're competing yeah. in a premier event with premier ranking points. You know, you're going to get a good referee. Uh, you know, you're going to get six by six mats. You know, yeah. you know the rules. It's everything's consistent. Yeah. Um, it's just there's going to be first aid there. Like, you pay for what you get, essentially. Yeah. And I don't even think the AFBJJ tournaments are expensive. But if someone, well, I guess a lot of people think they're expensive, um, go and do a, a smaller tournament that's yeah. cheaper and see the experience you have and then come and talk to us again. <laughs> I completely agree. I love what you just said. Another thing I think is that it strips out the people who are not serious. Like, uh, I know that, uh, at the guys at GeForce, they just put on a, a tournament the other day. There was 250 buck prize money for this super fight, right? And because of that, these guys bought the heat. You know what I mean? Like, if you've got something on the line, if you've paid a lot, you aren't going to take it seriously. You're going you're gonna to take your approach more seriously, your training more seriously. Everything's more serious when you're invested in something and you've got skin in the game. So I also think that yeah. paying more creates better grappling, ultimately. Uh oh, he's frozen. Or have you frozen? Oh, I'm frozen. oh, are we back? I oh, know you're back. You're back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a big cost in flying in, like accredited referees and hiring the proper mats and barriers and all that stuff too. Um, you know, I could run a tournament at a basketball gym this weekend with my mates refereeing and charge five bucks, but it's not going to be a very good tournament. There's probably going to be a lot of injuries. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Agree, agree. I, I also do like the way the AFPJJ has uh, put the ranking in to try to, like you were saying, guys, like lift the level. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's complaints about that, but I don't see that. I see it as being a good thing and something that in time is going to help raise the level of Jiu-Jitsu in Australia. Well, I feel like it already has. So, mm. yeah. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Well, I, a lot of people I hear complain about, the certification of the IBJJF being expensive, especially for black belts and stuff. Um, like if you want to be certified, you do the first aid and you pay all this money. But like, I, I kind of see it as like a, you know, you pay Vic Road for your driver's license, you know, you pay yearly to be able to drive on the roads, you pay your car registration. You know, if you're a certified black belt with AFBJJ or IBJJF, uh, it's like it's, it carries weight, you know, like you can say yeah. to someone, yeah, I'm actually like legit and I earned yeah. this. This mm. is proof, you know, mm. I just go and build your own car and drive on Vic roads with no license. You know, you have to uh, pay for it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I would say like, this is, this comes back to that initial point. Like the AFBJJ are standing for the highest quality possible of, of, you know, of people in the community ultimately. 
you know. So yeah, I really, I really, I'm glad that we explored this today because we could have just kept it all fun and light. But you know, I think this is a very important topic to discuss. And I think it was a bit too heavy to discuss with your dad. So, because, like, yeah, no, well, that's what's my thoughts on it because, yeah, I didn't know how he'd react to, to it. Yeah. So, yeah. He doesn't like uh, confrontational things too much. So, you can ask me any of them. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And man. so, are you coaching? You mentioned about coaching. Are you coaching? Um, is that just at St Kilda or are you coaching down at Torquay as well? Both, both academies? Yeah, so I spend most of my time teaching in Torquay. I teach here every day, um, except Sunday. And then uh, I go to Melbourne Monday and Friday to teach the 2.30 class up there. So it's good. I get to see the guys in St Kilda. There's a few more black belts in St Kilda for me to train with as well. Um, but, yeah, I sort of split my time, sort of not 50-50, but I'm up to Melbourne a couple of days a week. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about an hour and a half commute. Yeah, yeah it's it's similar to I, I just... Yeah, drive up and back Monday, up and back Friday. The odd Wednesday I go. Um, yeah, hour and a half. It's fine. I just listen to an audio book or yeah. podcast or something on the way. I actually kind of look forward to the days I get to drive up there because you get that hour and a half to just chill sort of thing. So you can true, listen man. to these. Have a get the back catalogue of these. We've got about 150. <laughs> yeah, actually, your episode 149. So, um, yes. Yeah, so like, we could do a little sure. soundbite thing. Like you could say, like, and we could use that in our advertising. We're like, I can't wait for the road trip so that I can listen to Roll or Die. This, can you say that, bro? <laughs> I can't wait to drive to Melbourne so I can listen to Roll or Die. Amazing. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We're going to edit it and fix that one in. That is our. That's be uh, oh, my God. That's so good. Um, great. All right. So what's next for you, brother? What's, what's the next, what's the next competition? Are you all good? Uh, yeah, I need to just get some, uh, international points. Um, I was hoping to do euros, uh, but I didn't qualify cause I'm a fool. Okay. <laughs> uh, so just what waiting do you mean? for, what do you, hang on, hang on, hang on. What do you mean by that? You, how are you foolish? <laughs> um, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a sore loser, but I'll just say it anyway. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working some new passing mm-hmm. the last few months. I'm predominantly a guard guy. Like I usually would just jump closed and play from there. And then mm-hmm. at the backs was my shot to qualify for the uh, Euros. Mm-hmm. And then the guy who beat me at Nationals uh, has a really good half guard. To, and I was trying to pass his guard. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to practice this passing again. If I can't do it in tournament, I'm not good enough at it. So I went in trying to do this new passing and, and takedowns again. And he swept me again and beat me by two points. And I lost no fault of my own and not using my A game in a tournament. I say to all my students, just go in, do what you're best at. Mm. And then I just was a massive hypocrite and then went in. <laughs> practicing something new and lost and didn't qualify because of it. It's the best <laughs> lesson for your students, man, when it can happen to you, like ego gets in the way or whatever, man. Thank you for coughing that up, man. That's awesome. Yeah, not, not taking away from Dalek. He's very good uh, and his half guard's amazing. I went straight in on purpose twice. He swept me once, I swept him back and then I was like, okay, let's go again. Straight in, swept me back again, lost by two. I was like, Max, you are such an idiot. <laughs> Like guys from from Henzo's New York were messaging me. They were like, "Bro, you're not Gordon Ryan. You can't just choose a technique before the competition and try and do it. Just go in." And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh and man, okay. So, so that happened. Wait, wait, wait a second, sorry, you and so then yeah, the which thing happens and then you didn't qualify. So then what yeah, happened? Then I, then I didn't qualify. So now I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, I have to just wait for IBJF to announce something this side of the world because all the tournaments is in America. That's why I was there. But now I'm busy teaching and stuff. I can't just uplift my life to go there again. So I'm just waiting for IBJF to announce something in Japan or anywhere. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. Like, Do you reckon uh, FBJJ have any influence at all in the IBJJF in, in getting some more tournaments on this side? Because for the black belts especially, if they don't make pan packs, then like you can see for you, I mean, there used to be even like the Asian Open and the Manila Open and a yeah. few others in Asia. They haven't even had them for the last year. Yeah, I've done the Asian Open, Manila Open, Tokyo Open. I've done all yeah. those. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm praying for those to come back. It's just hard yeah. for them since COVID, but like they did the pan packs. Mm. Um, they were a bit smaller, if if you don't mind me saying, than previous years. I wonder how the IBJJF took that because they usually make it like it's a big tournament with like 10, 12 mats, but it was small. It was a lot less entrance. Yeah, they um, they opened the registration very late. I think the registration yeah. was only open for like four, four weeks. Four weeks, yeah. yeah. So it's hard for people to plan travel and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think there was still like – Almost two thousand competitors. Okay. Oh, yeah. Less big, yeah, uh, big room when they have it, and it was like three days, so it just doesn't yeah. seem like. If they I had like done it, it. In two days with ten mats, it would have seemed really big. But they did it over three. Yeah. Like, true. What, yeah. Do you know if the Sydney Open's going to be coming back next year? Hopefully, I I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah it's it normally around March. So hopefully they, they can bring that because that will give some points. Not a lot, but at least some points, yeah. Mm, yeah, well, I heard wind of um, uh, like Korea and some other tournaments in Asia. I haven't heard mm. any wind of Sydney yet, but, okay. yeah, straight there as soon as one of those comes up. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Um, changing subject, unless you guys want to keep going on that, but I'm interested <laughs> to know about um, what involvement Pete has in your training nowadays because, you know, obviously he was a big catalyst for you in your childhood. Can he offer you anything anymore? <laughs> is there any? Is there anything there for him left to teach you? Yeah, yeah, 100%. He's, he's the old dog with all the wisdom. He's got heaps of stuff. Okay. Um, it's not so much as it was when I was a kid. He's just showing me things. We more now would just bounce ideas off each other, be like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And then maybe just like roll a little bit and I'll try to stop it or he try to stop it. We kind of just like workshop things together. Mm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, one of us has been working on something lately, kind of a bit more back and forth rather than him just showing me everything now. But yeah, sure. still get like and is workshop. he still really involved with uh, the academy down there or he's less so you're more doing that and he's stepped back a bit from talking? Yeah, he's uh, living in Melbourne now. So he's huh? not in Torquay too much. Um, so he's, yeah, it's kind of, he mainly does St. Kilda and I mainly do Torquay. Huh. But yeah, I always try to get him to come down because the guys love to see him. And then uh, I'm always up there anyway. So it's funny, like when I go there to teach on Mondays and Fridays, <laughs> Um, we kind of like teach the class together. <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, it's a funny little, little thing. Like I'll give my two cents and he'll give his two cents. <laughs> wow, Do awesome. Disagree? Do you ever disagree? And like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he'll teach something 
and then someone will ask me like, oh, how to do it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't do that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing will happen if I teach something. He's like, oh, I don't know. Max does that. <laughs> and what about your yeah. sister? Is she in the mix for training still? She. Yeah, she's just had a couple of injuries, um, but she's been training. She got her purple belt, which is awesome. Um, she just gets a bit self-conscious about her training because of who her dad is and she's not a black belt yet or whatever, but it's just all stupid, you know. At least she's training and hopefully yeah. she can keep going through. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, when she was blue belt, at blue belt juvenile, she lost to Mackenzie Dern at the – Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah in the worlds and then pretty much after that she had her break and quit for a little while and i was like joke to her like oh well you could have been mackenzie Dern, kobe <laughs> <laughs> and what about you max did you ever feel that pressure growing up coming through like to get your black belt and and whatever because of the name or not not so much uh, not so much to get my black belt i always knew i was going to get there one day i just more so wanted to be a good black belt not get it as quick mm -hmm. as possible Mm. I still think I probably got it too quickly, to be honest. Um, because I, I feel like since I got my black belt, I've gotten like like if I fought myself the first year I got it, I'd absolutely murder that guy. Um <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of wish I got it a little later, but yeah, the I felt pressure competing. Um, you know, I remember people would coach the guy other guys I was fighting and they weren't even on the same team. They just wanted me to <laughs> 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 Yeah, it was fine. Like competing internationally is was always fine because no one no one knew, and they were the big tournaments that really mattered a lot anyway. So it was fine. Mm. You guys, you guys have a different kind of grading system at Debeen. Well, from what Kim tells me and from what I hear, like at, at absolute, like we get we have to do, we get tested for every strike. <laughs> okay, like and yeah. demonstrated technically and yeah. So, and then other club, every club has their own way, right? Which I find fascinating in the beginning. But I hear at Debeen, it's like, surprise, here's a belt. You know what I mean? And like, someone decides you're ready, whether you think you're ready, whether, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that's good or bad or right or wrong, but I'm saying it's interesting. Yeah. And I guess both systems are, uh, you know, have pros and cons. Tell me about how you select someone or how you think you were selected for your black belt. You know, I'm interested to know. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's much more we're, we're, like you. I'm not. I'm like you. I'm not super for one way or the other. I like the way we do, uh, mainly because it's a lot more personal. Like when there's a grading day and you do a test and a bunch of people get it, you. I've never had that happen to me, but I assume it feels like you're kind of run of the mill. Whereas when we give a grading, sometimes we'll give two on a night or whatever, but it's very personal. Like the guy or girl has no idea that they're going to get it and they're rolling. And then it's like, Hey, here you go. Here's your purple belt. And they're like, they're so taken back. I'm like, wow, I did not expect that. This is awesome. And they're like super stoked. And yeah. then, you know, all about them that night. Cause they got graded and yeah, I don't know. It's much more personal that way. And I also not even just for making the other person feel good for actually determining whether they're that belt or not if I have a date that's a grading day and a guy's like, you know, not quite there, but he's going to have to wait another year, he's probably going to get graded a little early, you know? Yeah. Whereas with our system, we can grade someone whenever we want. So if I'm like, I'll literally decide like maybe a week before, I'll just roll with someone. I'd be like, oh, you're pretty good. 
Okay, I'm gonna give you a belt next week. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I just, I can tell, you know, if there's someone <laughs> like he's putting a bit of pressure. I'm like, oh, your passing is getting good. Okay, play his guy a little bit. Oh wow, like he's, you know, threatening submissions. I'm like, this guy's a purple belt for sure. He's training well. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Dad, yeah. you know, he's training well. Go roll with him. Tell me what you think. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. boom, graded. That's it. Makes, That's how we do. It makes sense, man. Yeah. Yeah, and like for me, I know because I, I came up that way, and I guess you do sort of wonder in yourself. I don't know about for you, Max, but I was sort of, sometimes you sort of have those thoughts in your head: Am I close? Maybe I'm getting close to getting that next belt. You know, especially when people that you compete against, you see they getting promoted. You think, oh, maybe I'm close. I must be close now because I mm. I beat that person and they got a new belt. So yeah, you sort of feel like that anyway. But um, we are nearly out of time, Max. So thank you so much for giving up your time. Um. Do you have any final words, any parting thoughts to share with our listeners? Uh, not really. I just can't wait to listen to the other 148 Roll or Die episodes. <laughs> yes. All those. More, more sound bites. You are the best, bro. <laughs> Come on anytime. Our editor will <laughs> love it. He could take all these bits out. Um, <laughs> we, we might not actually have this episode out until about the end of January because we're we're, we're recording a bunch of them now and then we're going to take a bit of a break of recording through January. But um, once we have it out, if you could share it with your social media, with your people, that would be awesome to help grow our audience because, yeah, I think actually your dad's episode was probably our highest rating. So I don't know how competitive you are, but, uh, yeah, hopefully <laughs> your surname alone can can pump it up. Yes, 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 yes. that's right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Max. Thank you so much, Max. All the best with everything, and uh, we'll see you on the mats. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too, buddy. Bye.